0: Ready to stop trading time for money and build a business that can scale? Then you're in good company. This is the Productize podcast, where I chat with entrepreneurs who've transformed their businesses using the Productize service model. I'm your host, Brian Castle. Want to learn my best strategies for productizing your business? Then get my free crash course by going to productizecourse.com. Now let's get into the show. Hey folks. In today's episode, you're going to hear my conversation with my friend Philip Morgan. He and I had a great conversation about positioning. And Philip has become, uh, you know, quite an expert on this idea of of positioning yourself or positioning your business. Um, And uh, he even wrote a a whole book on it, you know, uh, called The Positioning Handbook. So this conversation is really all about positioning yourself as a specialist, even when that's a really scary thing to do. And we kind of do a deep dive, you know, talking about that fear. So in this conversation, you're going to learn how to get over that fear of not doing everything for everyone, specific steps that you can take to narrow your focus, how to communicate what you do for your most ideal client, and then how to, how to use positioning in your productized service. So that's in today's talk let's get into it in just a moment. Now today's quick tip when it comes to productized services is that every pricing tier should serve a specific segment of your audience. Now when we think about pricing, it's pretty common and I think it's pretty rec- I mean I recommend it to have several pricing tiers, typically three, sometimes two pricing tiers, but give customers an option, you know, option A, B or C. And I mean, one benefit of that, of course, is price anchoring, right? So if you have a, a really high-priced option C, it makes the middle option, you know, seem much more attractive and that that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, it, I I don't think that, uh, you know, just the, having pricing tiers should, should be there, you know, just for the sake of having pricing tiers or just for the sake of price anchoring. I think it's, it's more important to think of pricing tiers as... Um, every tier should serve a very specific segment of your audience, and by that, I mean, the first tier should be designed for, say, freelancers, and the middle tier should be designed for, say, you know, agencies, um, and and so, and you can, you know, break them out in different ways, but the whole idea is that if if you are a particular type of customer who, who experiences the problem that you solve in a specific way, then one tier is for you. Um, or if, if you have other needs still related to the same problem, then the, the higher tier should be for you. So um, you know, it, it should really kind of you know make sense for a particular type of person in each individual tier, if that makes sense. So uh, that's today's quick tip. Give every pricing tier um, or assign every pricing tier to a specific segment of your audience. Today, I invited my friend Philip Morgan on the show. To talk about positioning your product or your service, and uh, philip was was actually one of the very first people that I came across who was doing uh, productized consulting and so it 's really been inspiring for me to learn from what uh, what he 's done and, and get to know him uh, recently and so uh, Philip has positioned himself uh, as an expert when it comes to positioning. Um, and, and he wrote the book, uh, the positioning manual for technical firms. And I think this whole concept of positioning is really kind of at the core of what it means to productize your service. So we're going to really dig into, to what this stuff is all about. So, um, welcome Philip.
1: Brian, thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: Cool. Well, uh, you know, great to talk to you today and, um, you know, why don't we just start with, uh, well, you know, wh- what are you working on today? Why don't you tell folks about, a little bit about what you do? And then I'm, I'm also curious just about how you got into this uh, line of work.
1: Cool, yeah. Uh, I'm working on too much, I think, at, <laughs> all at one time.
0: We always there's are. A,
1: there's a, yeah, there's a couple things that I have going on. So you mentioned a productized service that I offer, which is called My Content Sherpa. And it's, um, it's an easy way for development shops to get uh, content marketing done because, you know, the biggest problem that everybody has with content marketing is it's so time consuming to do it yourself. And I think you're uh, well acquainted <laughs> with that same problem because you have a wonderful service that targets the same kind of problem as well.
0: Yep.
1: Um, I, am, I have another product I service called Drip Sherpa and Drip Sherpa is all about the same problem Things that take too long to do them yourselves but have real value so people are willing to trade money to not have to spend the time. And that problem is doing a really thorough, careful setup of a drip email marketing account.
0: Yeah, very cool. My whole
1: thing is that I want to help development shops get more leads. That's really where I focus everything I do. So I have a podcast that I just launched that's about that same sort of thing as you know getting a pipeline full of leads called the consulting consulting pipeline podcast. Nice. And and you know then I, I'm actually occasionally trying to do client work. <laughs> I have a small team. I have uh, two writers who help me out and a production assistant. Uh, all part-time people. So I'm able to I guess to do a little more than one person, but I also I think I'm maybe taking on a little more than I should.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I think we always are, right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. what um a couple of things just really pop out to me when you describe what you do. Uh, number one, obviously the, the productized consulting stuff, and I want to ask you about that in a second. And the other thing is that the way that you just introduced yourself and your service—it's for development shops, right? And that—that that I think speaks right to the heart of what we're talking about here today: is, is positioning. Is you—you're really focusing in now on um, serving development shops and, yes. and designing your service and everything else that you're doing, your podcast, your book, um, to be for them, to serve them. Yes. Um, and so I, mean, I guess my first question is just about the productized consulting okay. model. How did you, how did you first get into that? When you, like when you first launched content Sherpa, what were you doing before that? How did you, how did you get to that idea?
1: I was really floundering around a lot in my career as a freelancer before that. So Uh, The first thing I need to say is that uh, the whole idea of productized consulting is a very powerful idea that I ripped off wholesale from Nick DeSabado, who is probably, you know, somewhat familiar to the listeners of this show, Mm -hmm. because he's been doing he's been he's had a productized offering that's been around for longer than my content Sherpa, which is now uh, just a little bit over a year old. So what I was doing before was uh, billing by the hour or, or a combination of flat rate projects. I was doing sort of general purpose content work. So, you know, if someone needed a website, if they needed some emails for an email marketing campaign, if they needed some, you know, sales copy, uh, I was happy to just do it all. Mm-hmm. And the type of clients I would take were the type who had a checkbook and <laughs> would sign a check with my name on it. Yeah. So, you know, kind of a take-all-comers approach.
0: It sounds pretty similar to, to my background when I was doing freelance web design, and I think most, most freelancers out there, it, even when you start to qualify c- clients and making sure that they have the right budget, uh, it's still there's still that extra step of, of figuring out, well, who's really ideal that we want to be working with, right?
1: And, yeah, and you know, I think that that's very common because a lot of freelancers do it the way I did, which is... You, you're in some kind of job and something happens. There's like an event. Your boss is horrible and you just have had enough. Or like I did in 2008, you get laid off because uh, the whole economy went through some big changes and um, you know certain companies stopped spending money on subcontractors and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you just all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I woke up yesterday. I was an employee and today I'm a freelancer. You don't take that break to go uh, get a, not that getting an MBA would really do that much for you, but you don't go and you know kind of study your craft of running a business, right? So you just kind of dive in and start applying your skills the best way you can, and and it creates the situation you just described.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, okay, so so you were you are kind of freelancing for a while, doing a lot of a lot of different, or working with a lot of different types of clients, and then you launched My Content Sherpa and. From what I remember, the service was focused in terms of its scope and the way that you priced it. Uh, but at that point, when you first launched it, it wasn't really tailored to development shops. Is is that right?
1: You are remembering correctly. Yes. So, uh, you, so you
0: weren't uh, re- like how did you how did you make that progression over over the course of the last year to like start really positioning yourself and focusing in on who you're serving?
1: You know, it's kind of funny. It's it, the 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 Progression of how I've positioned myself has definitely been a progression. I I did not, you know, have some kind of epiphany or wake up one day and say, okay, I I know exactly what it needs to be. It was a gradual progression. And I want to to point that out because, you know, I help a lot of people with their positioning and I see that that's very common. And uh, I guess I want people, the folks at home to know that that's not unusual or uh, substandard. It really is a process. It's not a, you know, getting from one end of the field to the other in one uh, play, you know, if you kind of think about a sports analogy. So totally. one of my uh, original attempts at positioning myself was I had this tagline on my website that said smart marketing for geeks and creatives. And I just say that uh, even though it embarrasses me a little bit to say it because it gives you some context as to where my head was uh, like two years ago or uh yeah, not quite two years ago. And I was thinking, well, I have a sense of who it is that I want to help. It's, it's people who are like me, right? Who are kind of geeky and, and on the creative side of things. And I was going to offer them uh, the thing that I was going to do for them is marketing, right? And that was how I defined my position, which, you know, it's, it's an okay tagline, I guess. It's kind of catchy. But it changed because it wasn't working for me. No one was going to my website and seeing that tagline and going, oh, my God, I found you. I found my answer. Right. So I knew it needed to get more focused in terms of you could think of it as audience or you could think of it as who it is that I help. And so when I launched my content Sherpa, it was um, – it was really I, I had sort of narrowed the scope a little bit to any kind of technical company I was willing to work with, so you know if you wanted content marketing for your, the new line of uh, makeup that you're launching, I probably would have turned you down yep. <laughs> at the launch of my content Sherpa. but as long as you were somewhere in that realm of we're uh, we're a development shop, we're a um, agency that creates websites or maybe we do SaaS software and I've worked for all three of those types of clients uh, I would take you on and what I did eventually this is going to sound very simple and low-tech Brian is uh, you know I wrote this book on positioning and I and I realized well I kind of need to walk my talk a little more (laughs) than I have been so I just I just picked one I just picked one of the three and I picked the one that I thought where I could offer the most value and probably where they need my services the most and and for me that was development shops
0: interesting yeah and i think um uh, i mean I, I can certainly relate to that too i mean i i, I teach about productized services and when I, the, in the last few months as i was trying to figure out like what is going to be the next business that i get into the thought of getting into a productized service I, I, well, really doing that again just made so much sense it's like all yeah. right well i really got to do what I'm what I talk about and write about every day. So, yeah. um, uh, so that's, that's interesting. And, and I, I also liked what you just said that development shops stand to benefit from, from what you're from the type of service that, that you do. Um, cause I think it's not just about picking a niche where there's a big opportunity. Um, but it's also about like who, who can you really design the best possible solution for? Right. Yeah. Um, so as you started to make that shift, as you started to, to change who you're serving, like what were the implications of that and what, what were the results? Um, and Like what did that actually look like? Did you actually say to certain clients, hey, we need to stop working together or was it a gradual phasing out and phasing in of, of the new clients?
1: It's more the latter. It's, it's A, it's not easy for me to go to someone and say, you know, I, I've changed my mind about something that we you know, we had an agreement about. So, see ya. <laughs> you know, that's that doesn't feel great to me. So, it's been as as clients are ready to uh, transition in some way, we stop working together. It's it's been more of a gradual sort of, you know, sunsetting. I guess you could say of the old positioning. Mm-hmm. So, I, what it has turned into in terms of saying no is saying no to people who just are outside the scope of that audience. So I do in a very nice way and I try to be super helpful by providing a referral. But, you know, it's no, I I real my I'll give you my standard email template. Actually, I have it memorized (laughs) the standard email template is I am uh, not set up to knock that out of the park. So I need to refer you to somebody else. So if someone, you know, again, the example of someone launched a line of cosmetics <laughs> and came to me and wanted some help, I'd say that's awesome. I can't. I'm not set up to really do the best job for you. So let me try to refer you to somebody
0: else. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. And and so how did you um, how did that actually change the way that you do serve your clients once you started? Or, or, or maybe this is about the way that you market and communicate your service, but also in the way that you deliver the service itself. Like what changed mm-hmm. once you started working specifically with development shops?
1: Well, I'll uh, add the caveat. This is a fairly new uh, tightening of my focus. So I think there's going to be a lot more interesting stuff to answer this question with like six months from now. But what I can say definitively now about you know, what's changed about after someone is a client is I feel a lot more confident and um, I don't I don't have this available publicly but I'll give you one example I am a lot more confident saying this is my approach to what I do and if you don't like it that's fine but we probably won't end up working together if you don't like it so I actually created a page on my site that outlines the philosophy Of, you know, the type of content I create, the type of websites I build, and it has a form. I haven't had to do this with a prospect yet, but they sign off that they agree with my philosophy. Hmm. So it has made, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but it's made me a little dogmatic about what I do because I'm so confident that what I do solves a real problem for clients. So that's like one example, kind of a, a weird example, I guess, but...
0: Yeah, I, I really love that. I, I think that's I think that's super important um, because I, I hear all the time uh, some pushback on the on the idea of, of productizing your service, right. and and the pushback is uh, it's just too rigid. Like how can yeah. you, how can you just dictate that th- this is what you're doing and you're not going to do anything else for a client? And I think that comes down to. There's there's two steps to this, right? Like step one is is the positioning, is figuring out who you're serving and how you how and the benefit that they're going to get. And then step two is figuring out what is the best package of services that will deliver that result. And and you know, the, the client the the traditional model is like the client saying, Well, we want this, 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 and this, and we want a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that, and less of this. Um now how much will it cost? Right. But this is more about the client saying we have, we have this need, we have this problem, we're looking for a specific result, and you're saying like, oh, that's great, because I sell that result, and this is how we do it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And again, I may need to tone down the wording on this page that I wrote, but it says things like, I'm not going to invite you into the workshop as I'm building this for you. It's going to be built in a way that achieves the goals that I know you need. And, you know, you're going to give final approval, of course, because you're, you're paying for it. But you're not going to stand by my shoulder while I'm building this. Mm-hmm. Like that's an example of, of how true it is that I believe this is a, a really effective solution for a super specific situation. Very cool. Not for everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's the whole point with, with uh, productized services as well is that there, it's not like, – your service is not for everybody. It's, it's for a very specific uh, ideal customer, and it's intended to resonate with a very specific customer. I mean, for example, as I was writing the the copy on the Audience Ops uh, homepage, which I've rewritten like three times in the last three <laughs> weeks now, uh, you know, wh- one of the headlines there says um, founders shouldn't blog. right? Uh, and that's kind of taking a, a definitive stance on something that like if you're a founder of the company, you have no business writing your own blog posts. Right, but the truth is, plenty of founders write their own blog posts. Sure, um, and some are very effective at it, but there are plenty of founders who who don't, and they see the value in not doing it and spending their time on other things. So, in that, in the way that I'm positioning, in the way that I'm marketing my service, I'm trying to only speak to those people who see that value, and I'm trying to exclude. Those who prefer to do their own blogging because they're not an ideal customer,
1: right? You wrote a blog post recently that was explaining some of your kind of guiding principles for for audience ops, and one of the things that stuck out is me. Excuse me. One of the things that stuck out at me was how it was. um, Gosh, there, there was just this clarity that. Oh, I'm totally losing my train of thought, Brian. So sorry. <laughs> I was trying to th- think about too many things at once.
0: No problem. Happens um,
1: the but I guess what I'm really trying to say is with productized consulting, you're trying to get away from everything's custom, right? And the, yes. the opposite end of that spectrum is everything is 100% standardized. Yeah. Now I'm remembering. And you, kind of, you alluded to that at least in your blog post. It's like every interaction should be routine, right? Okay. Every... Everything should be a hundred percent standardized, as uh, really top to bottom, right? With a with a truly productized service.
0: Yeah, because you know the thing that the th- the thing that that really burned me out and stressed me out about consulting before when I was doing freelance web design stuff is that lack of routine. It's like, oh, a, a fire came up and I have to put it out, or I have to go chase down some unpaid invoice, or I have to go. Uh, or, or this client is re- is requesting this one special custom thing like just this once and and you know that just that just really wears wears you down after a while so one of the key goals for me in, the, in this new productized consulting business is is to make sure that every time I'm working with someone or, or we are working with someone the, the team mm-hmm. um, that e- Every interaction, whether it's the kickoff call or the mm-hmm. monthly update or the the publishing of their of their blog, um, every interaction goes according to plan. Like, okay, we're we're in week three of this engagement, then this is what we should be working on because right. that's what comes in week three for every client. Um, and of course, yeah. there, you know, there's always a little bit of that's that's how it looks on paper, but of course, there's there's always a little bit of flexibility and and nuance Mm -hmm. to it. But, um, but that's the concept. And and I I think early on in, in the business, it's, it's a good time to start to think through these, but you can certainly rework what you're doing, um, over time. And that's a little bit scary to do it when you've been doing things a certain way for a while. But, um, I think that's a lot of what you talk about and write about is that it's, it's, it's frightening and, but you have to kind of step back and make these, these, uh, decisions for the better.
1: It for sure is.
0: Um, so one more question about your business, and then I want to get into kind of these uh, high-level um, things that, that we can kind of teach the audience about positioning. Okay. But So how, well, how do you go about uh, marketing your productized service today, and, and how do you get clients, and how has positioning helped you um, do a better job of that?
1: It's primarily marketed through a sales page. So if you go to mycontentsherpa.com, you'll see the sales page I'm talking about. I'm actually split testing two right now. So you may see an extremely short, basically lead gen uh, form that's a couple paragraphs of text that focuses on the absolute core value of it. And um, and maybe you'll see a longer term, <laughs> long form sales page. Sorry uh, that not everybody can see both. But it's, um, so it's a sales page. I don't do any paid advertising or anything like that. So there's referrals and, Kind of organic uh, mentions. It was one of certainly not the first productized service. When I did some research into productized consulting about a year ago, I found mentions of productized consulting on the internet going way back. I mean, way back would be like I don't know, five years back or something. I
0: remember something. finding uh, some kind of screenshot of of a very early thirty seven signals website. I don't know when this was from, maybe like 99 or something. And and they had a productized service offering for like a $2,500 website design and a whole right. sales, a sales page for that and everything, you know.
1: Right, yeah, <laughs> sort of, you know, Jared Drysdale's landing page in a day, um, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the re- precursor to that. So anyway, um, it's not a new idea, but I because I was doing it and had some friends who were kind enough to tweet about it, uh, I've gotten some publicity mm-hmm. that way, and uh, other people have mentioned it, like, you know, there's this guy doing this thing called My Content Sherpa. So it's it's been very much inbound marketing driven, mm-hmm. and uh, right now you, you can, on the sales page, you can sign up for more info. You'll get some emails that really are actually kind of an educational series about content marketing in general that will honestly try to talk you out of uh, hiring me. Because I want to make sure that, p- that people do do hire me are really that right fit.
0: Yeah, actually, I I went through your your email sequence there and and it's really well done and, and you're right you do a, a lot of kind of qualifying and and in a way, um, uh, not convincing you that it's not the right fit, but but definitely speaking to a very targeted, um, perfect fit client. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it's good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad it it's mission accomplished there.
0: Um, and so, I mean, now now it looks like you're doing other. Well, uh, you, you know, you released the book uh, a little while ago, right? Yeah. Um, has that helped to uh, bring awareness and and exposure for your name and your service as well?
1: It has. Yeah, it definitely has. One of uh, for my for my podcast, I interviewed somebody yesterday who. Uh, teaches people who make handmade soap how to do a better job of running their business of selling handmade soap. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, that's why I wanted to talk to her. Her name's uh, Kenna, and this was just the most fascinating interview. Uh, What she found was when she was – she had a soap-making business, and she would find marketing guidance and sales information and how to run business information, but there was never any information that was specific to her niche. And so in the same way, there are other books out there about positioning. In fact, the, the best one, if you want to read it, and I would suggest you do, is called Positioning.
0: <laughs> Easy. <laughs> positioning And <the> book.
1: <laughs> Yeah. It, it, seriously, yeah. The title is Positioning. There's probably a subtitle, but if you just look for the book called Positioning uh, on your favorite bookseller, you'll find it because it's been around forever. A lot of the examples are going to feel out of date, but they are truly timeless examples about how positioning works I just wrote a book about positioning for a particular audience. That's the link really between Kenna, uh, the soap making gal and, and what I did with the positioning manual was, and that wasn't really my explicit strategy. I just got interested in positioning and felt like it could be very helpful to the kind of people that I'm trying to help more broadly. And so I wrote a book about positioning for them. And that has certainly, yes, that has, uh, I, I would not say I'm internet famous by any means, but, um, more, more people on my mailing list and more emails coming in from people saying, Hey, I read your book. It was great. Um, yeah. And now so, you just, yeah.
0: and just this week you launched a top rated podcast on, on iTunes all about uh, uh, consulting and, and I know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Blown away, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, that that's awesome. And I, and I think uh, the way that you're, you know, quote, quote, unquote, positioning the podcast as well. It it falls right in line with with everything, and I think this leads right into um, the whole concept of of why it's well. You know, the question here is like, why is it a bad idea uh, to go broad and, yeah. and not to uh, focus in on on one niche? Because like when I look at or not to say niche but but a folk a narrow uh focus of who who your ideal customer is because like when we look at your new podcast it's clearly targeted at an audience who who would fit your your ideal customer it's not you know general marketing advice on yep. on the internet it's right. um, so so yeah i mean what what is kind of the drawback of uh, of of being too broad
1: well i want to i want to illustrate this with just two quick kind of stories, um I want to ask you actually, Brian, have you ever run into someone while while you were traveling or at an airport or some place away from home? Have you ever run into someone who's from your your hometown, your high school, your university, or anything like that
0: um, yeah, I mean I guess it's happened it it's it's weird because i don't li- I live in Connecticut now and, and I grew up in new York, so okay i don't cross okay your your hometown
1: people. well and your hometown is huge
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too
1: but, uh, but okay, yeah sure
0: this. sure it's happened before yeah
1: you know that feeling you get um wow it's so crazy i'm you know in an airport in london and I, I run into someone from the same high school i went to what are the chances and yeah if you can just imagine that happening even if it hasn't happened to you the, the feeling you get is very distinct and unmistakable So the first reason that I have for people to not go broad is that you'll never get that feeling from your prospects, that feeling of, oh, my God, really?
0: Yeah.
1: You're, you know, from the same hometown, you're a marketing consultant who's set up to help soap makers or you just help development shops. Really? Wow. You must know a lot about the problems that I have with marketing.
0: Yeah, or you get these these messages like, did you create this service just for me? <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had that happen. You want that reaction because what happens uh in in my world where you're selling professional services, they're sold based on trust. And they're sold based on the belief that you can deliver, which is, you know, the emotion that goes along with that is trust. Yes. And it is Yes, there's logical stuff. You know, we have to believe that uh, this company, this development shop, has the capabilities to execute on this project and so forth. But what really closes a deal, if you don't screw it up, is is having enough trust.
0: Yeah, um, and, and yeah. trust, and I think that that plays into like reducing risk as well, right? The 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 client needs to know that okay, if we're going to invest in this, mm-hmm. I need to minimize risk. Um, Absolutely. And you know when they. when when they come across your site or they come across what you do and they have that moment, just like you described, like, like bumping into it to an old friend in an airport or something. It's like, what are the chances? Like one in a million, right? It's, it's that feeling of, of, um, wow, you really designed this exactly for people like me. You, like you said, you, you must know the problem really well. Um, and I just think back to this, the, like working on restaurant engine versus working on my previous work as a, as a freelance Mm -hmm. web designer doing all sorts of things. I mean, restaurant engine, obviously we, we just do websites for restaurants and when a restaurant comes to our site, which happens all the time because we market to restaurants, um, you know, they're, they're like, well, clearly they're capable of of creating a solid restaurant website because that's all they do. And, and, you know, I could see all the examples and, and they've done it before. Thinking back to when I was a freelancer, I remember a couple of times I had a few leads come to me, prospects, who who would ask for an e-commerce website. Right. And I, I knew how to build an e-commerce website, no problem. I knew all the tools out there. I knew exactly how I would do it. I just hadn't had the opportunity to actually have a, a, a big e-commerce project for a client to put in my portfolio. Right. So I had a couple of these conversations. Two or three times I had a conversation with... with the send a proposal and everything and they didn't accept the proposal only because they couldn't see an example of another e-commerce site that I had built for someone else Um, they see other examples of other types of sites but I couldn't say to them look I know your needs I know your problems look I've done this before for other shops I can do it for you too Um, they just look at me like well I'm just a a web designer developer Um, it's like a 50-50 chance that I can actually deliver on this promise
1: if you focus in 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 one particular type of thing you do or one particular type of client you serve and pretty specific, you will build up the most powerful portfolio that the future prospects have ever seen yep. in, in just no time flat. I remember as as a more of a generalist freelancer, people would say, uh, you know, can you do some you know can you build some educational content for us or some training content? And I would say yeah and you know you could would kind of feel yourself bluffing a little bit yeah because of course you believe that you have this broad you know you have this broad range of skills you've got the toolbox to build it but do you know how to put all the parts together in the best way and do you know what three things should take 2 hours but are actually going to take 20 hours probably not
0: yeah totally so
1: here's here's another reason to to not go broad um think about these two things which of these is going to change your behavior a sign on the on the highway that says the speed limit is 45 miles an hour and you're going 75 or 60 or that same sign with a police car parked next to it idling by the road which one's actually going to change your behavior it's the it's the second because it's a problem that you care about so the first one is like a potential problem yeah it's you know, it, it could be a problem if there was a cop who noticed that I was going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Uh, in the second case, it's a real problem. Uh, and it's what I tend to refer to as an expensive problem. Yeah. So it's a problem that matters to you uh, as, as a potential client. And when you go specific, you can start to, in your marketing, speak to those problems and get people's attention. This example really comes from a book called The Brain Audit by Sean D'Souza. So I don't want to take credit for this, but Yeah, that's a good a,
0: one. I was just reading that a, a couple months back.
1: Yeah, it's a, a super powerful principle about getting people's attention and so so that you can move to the next step and not just say, "Well, you got a problem, you know, tough luck." <laughs> you can say, "You have a problem and I have a solution for that."
0: Yeah.
1: Everything in your marketing and sales gets easier when you when you have that going for you.
0: Yeah. And, and, just the way that you just said it there, like everything gets easier. I I think that makes so much sense. Um, and you know, the other thing that I think about is that before you, you narrow your focus and when you're still just, just being a generalist web designer or generalist writer, you know, whatever it is that you do, you you can't really do marketing. Like all you're doing is, is providing your service and, 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 and basing your, your your marketing off of like referrals, you know, but you can't actually do real marketing or real business building. It, it's not until you know exactly who your ideal customer is that you can start to do real things like putting together a marketing plan to get yourself in front of these people, and you know, putting together processes and systems to 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 execute your your plan. Like you can't really do that kind of stuff when you're doing all sorts of different types of projects and different requirements.
1: Exactly. I mean, if you go specific enough, you can literally build a list of names of people who could hire you. Not that cold calling is the best way or, and it's certainly not a lot of fun for anybody, but you, you can do that if you know who you, what problem you're trying to solve and who you're trying to solve it for. If you don't, then you can just go down, you know, the phone book and, and cold call, which is a lot less effective.
0: Right. You know, still like, even when you understand these, these benefits and, and you know, why it's important to do this, there's still that fear, right? Yep. It, you've been doing things for a long time, and I hear this again and again from, from people. I'm afraid of, like, cutting out all these other customers or this, these potential uh, clients that I could be working with if I'm narrowing my focus. So how right. how do we deal with that? How do we get past that?
1: First step, honestly, is to know what the fears are so that you're not... Uh, you know, it's like, like a doctor, you go into a doctor's office. First thing they want to know is what the symptoms are so that they can create a, a accurate diagnosis. So you are go- specifically going to fear several things. You're going to fear loss. You're going to fear like, okay, I have 10 clients and none of them are in the same industry. So if I pick one of those, that means I'm going to have one tenth of the business. That's the kind of math that our our reptilian brain is doing for us. And So that's the first one. Just know that that is not very likely to happen. It's very unlikely to happen. The second is worse. It's imposter syndrome. And it happens to me. It happens to every person I know. Um, I'm not going to name names, but every, you know, successful person still has to deal with this, even at the height of their success. Who am I to say I'm an expert in X, Y, Z? So if you say I'm focused on helping development shops get more leads, then uh, there's going to be a part of you. Hopefully, this doesn't happen, but it tends to happen. It's going to say, "You can't do that." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, going to be kind of the internal saboteur.
0: I, I I I hear that, and I I hear myself saying that all the time. That that you know, inner chatter of like, "I'm pro- I'm promising this result, but how can I guarantee it?" And, and right. I think it comes with experience, but even even after you after you've done it for a while, there's you know, I, I think it's part of it as though that. That's kind of what keeps it interesting, <laughs> that's true, you know, it's,
1: that uh, relates to the third fear that I wanted to call out by name, which is the fear of boredom, so there's this idea that is I think a misperception that well, if I just focus on whatever uh, if I, but if I just focus on one problem that I'm solving for people or even just one audience, I'm going to become like an assembly line worker who's just screwing in one screw to uh you know this thing, and it's going to become completely boring. That never happens, first of all, because running a business is super interesting and um, challenging and diverse, and you're still going to be running a business, so you're still going to have to market yourself or manage people or just there's going to be something that that you're, is, means you're not really doing your craft 100% of the time, and and even so, you'll go deeper into that craft, and you'll discover nuances and more effective ways to do things. Yeah, that- so. Yeah, and
0: and you're going to shift from project to project within like over the course of your business. You know, like at first, it's just about getting your first clients in the door, and then then it's about refining your systems, and then it's about growing it, and then it's about getting a team in place if you want to go that route. You know, so so you yourself as the founder, you're you're going to be working on a bunch of different things, but what the business does and who it serves remains constant.
1: And you know, if you think about it, that combination of you. Your team plus every client, each client creates a unique combination of you plus them. And so this actually relates to another question, which I don't think we'd need to get into, but people are concerned that they're going to get into uh, like non compete type situations or, um, uh, you know, where one client is like, hey, you can't work with other people who do the same thing as I do. That's, uh, you know, conflict of interest. Yeah. But really, Every situation is unique. You plus that client is going to be a unique situation. and So I think that fear of you know, um, conflict of interest is, is kind of overblown. Yeah, I think anyway, the conflict
0: of interest thing does tend to crop up when it comes to marketing-type services. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, I think the reality is that that's, that's probably much more on a local level these days. If you're, if you're operating online and you're selling to a nationwide or worldwide audience... Yeah. yeah, if you're if you're concerned with that, uh, you're doing it wrong. You know. Yeah, it's
1: a huge pool, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another thing that's not really a fear, but people get overwhelmed with the number of choices. So anyway, th- those are the fears, and I think that first of all, knowing that they're going to happen is maybe half the battle, because you can say to yourself, "Okay, Philip told me this was going to happen." <laughs> You're like everybody else that's ever done this. And then you can start to you know, use the more rational part of your mind to attack the problem. So, hmm, how many development shops are out there? Because I used to be serving development shops and then these other kind of clients. But if I just focus on development shops, are there enough? And the answer is, you bet there are. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs>
0: development shops out there. Yep. I'm just
1: one guy. I can't. And it's, can gr- even-
0: and it's growing faster than ever.
1: Yeah, I couldn't even serve one percent of that market. I'm sure, yeah. um, and uh, I probably am best suited to serve the English-speaking part of that market anyway. Which, anyway, so you can start to engage more rational things. Uh, do I really have the expertise to do this? Well, you know, do I know twenty percent more about the subject than the people I'm helping? Sure. Uh, do I have a pretty good track record? Yeah. You know, you can you can deal with the fear if you know if you know what it's Gonna be before it hits you, but okay. if it hits you, you're gonna you're gonna think that you should, the best idea is just to keep doing what you've been doing.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think when you when you step back and acknowledge that you're you know that, that whole idea of like the imposter syndrome thing, it's it's really just you against yourself. You're, yes, you know it's because the the fear is that your client is gonna call you out or or somebody is gonna call you out on this. But like you said, you you know at least twenty percent more or you have 20% more experience doing this particular service than your yeah. client would doing it themselves. So um you know the, the that that fear is is unfounded, you know, unfounded because you're it's really just in in your own mind.
1: It really is. I have never, I mean, I've had clients say, "Well, you know, we need to improve this," or I I've had even had clients say, "I just don't like the work." But I've never had a client say, "Philip, I really don't think you know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> you seem you seem like an <laughs> imposter."
0: Right. <laughs> Um cool so okay so then how like the next logical step is all right we we get that we need to focus we need to we we need to make these changes but um how specific is specific enough and like how how far should we should we narrow it down and um i get this question a lot especially as it relates to industry you know because with restaurant engine i i, I went specific into a niche vertical industry with restaurants mm-hmm. Um, and, and I try to push back on that idea that you don't have to go into one industry. Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways that might be a little bit too limiting and some, in other ways it, it, it might work perfectly well. Uh, I think there are ways to narrow that focus, um, to like a broad, not, not too broad, but a, but a set of characteristics that that put together that ideal customer. Um, but any thoughts on that? Like how, like how specific is too specific?
1: There is no too specific, I mean, unless it just comes across as patently ridiculous like, um, you know, you're calling out like only I'll only work for companies owned by men with mustaches or something silly like that. That's – you really just – I don't think most people could possibly get too specific in their positioning because what happens, the more specific you go, the more your your success rate goes up with, with turning prospects into clients and, and the greater you can – the greater your capability is to own that market. And that's why I don't think you can go too specific. Um, Now, backing up from that, I think you can think about it a couple of ways. There's, you can segment a market uh, vertically. So a vertical segmentation for those who don't know is what we usually think of when we think of an industry, you know, automotive transportation is a, you know, vertical segment of the market. And then within transportation, there are smaller segments like, um, you know, rail transportation and, companies that supply car makers and car makers and, you know, on and on. Right. The other way you can segment a market is horizontally. So, uh, and there's not just one way to segment horizontally. You can segment based on customer size is a horizontal segment. We'll sell to anybody who has a million dollars to, to spend on our software would be a, a, you know, horizontal segment. Mm -hmm. Or we'll, we'll sell to companies that are between, uh, 5 million and 50 million in revenue is another horizontal segmentation. You can take that all the way to the level of individuals. So, um, you, you might say, my target market, maybe you're into coaching, right? Uh, and you're, you're doing executive coaching and you want to coach CEOs. You'll coach any CEO because CEOs have certain pro, uh, problems that they have in common with other CEOs. And uh, it may not matter what type of industry vertical they're in because they fit that horizontal market and the problems and the pains that that horizontal market feels are so strong and so particular to them that you can market just based on it being a horizontal. So there, there are cases where you, you could ignore a vertical and just go after a horizontal. And there's cases where targeting the vertical may be enough. I remember reading an article about a company that, um, did salvage operations for, um, they're not oil tankers, but the, the ships that, like, carry cards and cargo over overseas from, you know, China to the U.S. and vice versa, those ships sometimes wreck out at sea, and it's possible to save part of the cargo. They don't sink. They just kind of turn over, and everything gets water in it. Hmm. And there's at least one company that that's what they do. They go out, and it's super dangerous, and they charge a lot of money for it. That's an extremely specific market vertical.
0: Yeah.
1: But and so I don't think they need to worry about segmenting also horizontally but because they, it's so specific.
0: And, and they must have identified that problem, and and it probably came up a, a couple of different times with a couple of these different huge companies. Yeah. Um, and they identified that as like, oh wow, this is this is something that happens. This is this is a problem that other huge companies need to need to solve. Yeah. Um, you know, like another another question that I hear all, all the time is you know, I do like high level consulting for Fortune mm-hmm. 500 companies, right? How can I productize what I do or how can I focus, you know, what I'm doing or narrow it down? Um, and I mean, of course there are always a number of different ways you can, you can go with that. But as you're doing that work, you can find these, these problems that that crop up internally, especially if you're doing like development work type, you know, yeah. type of work. Um, Chances are that that one problem that you solve for one company, the next company has a similar problem in in their organization that that needs solving. So you can start to target that particular problem. Still, for sure. still serving those those large companies.
1: And that's really how actually when I'm working with people on their own positioning and trying to help them, that's that's usually my starting point: is what problem do you solve? What expensive problem? Or what things have you written a proposal for where you kind of wrote the same proposal over and over again? I mean, that's another great way to give birth to a productized consulting service. Is Look at those patterns in your own business, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I I, I have this,
0: I I do, I kind of teach the same ideas there and I look at the, because especially when you look at the types of, um, you you talked about earlier, like those high value expensive problems, Mm -hmm. right? right? It's the ones that, that come up again and again in your, conversations with prospects and in your proposals and in the line items on the invoices it's the things that people are actually paying for or those make or break requirements that they that they ask you for like yeah maybe there's something there that that other clients need solved as well
1: no so I think the ideal is to combine a market vertical with some kind of problem so you know i I help uh, pizza restaurants get more return traffic or Um, you know, I help, uh, this kind of restaurant solve this kind of problem. I think that's the ideal, but a lot of people are not ready to go, go for it, you know, because of the fear and because, well, because if you probably don't want to bet the farm on a new idea, right. And positioning for a lot of folks is going to be a new idea. So what I recommend in those cases is think about what's the next step of specificity. So if you're building WordPress sites that might be something like um, deciding to build WordPress e-commerce sites mm-hmm. only or uh, create a page on your site that, that says we specialize in this. And don't show that page to anybody unless you think they're a good fit at first. And then notice how amazing the reaction is compared to your other prospects. And then when you have enough courage, make that the homepage of your site that says we specialize in WordPress e-commerce only so what's this like one step more specific you could get? test it out don't bet the farm and see if that starts getting you business results that make you happy
0: I really like that, and that, that's actually the answer to, to my last question that I had here, which was you know how do we get started with this? What is the first step and I, I, I love the way that you put it there um, you know the whole concept of just putting up one page on your site um, you can even kind of put together a pitch in, a, in an email or, or, or or a one-page you know document that you can send out or present in your conversations with people that you're talking to or as you start to really um, like hypothesize over who your ideal customer will be you know in these early stages when you're figuring things out you know you can you can just find a list of of 50 people or you know hand pick a list of 50 people who you think would be ideal targets for this send a, a personalized cold email with this pitch, the, the one pager or a link to your special page on your site and and kind of start from there and get, and at that point you're just getting feedback that you can then tweak and, and iterate and and kind of learn as you go. That's what this is all about.
1: Man, I agree 100%. And I want to say that if making a page on your website is a barrier for you, then just write it down in a Word document. And uh, this tip comes from my buddy Kurt Elster. Uh PDFs have this weird power over people <laughs> to make something that maybe took you, you know, ten minutes to type up look very official and real, like ooh, it's a PDF. <laughs> okay. So it's true. <laughs> if you know, if there's some technical barriers like uh oh, I have to talk to my web person to put a page up and that's gonna take three weeks, just do an end run around those problems. They're not gonna stop you from testing something out. Just you know, do the best you can. The, the, the real goal here is to get an offer that is a specific offer about a solving a specific problem in front of real people, <laughs> Yep, which is exactly what you said. I just want to encourage people don't get hung up on, you know, making it perfect.
0: Exactly. Yep. Well, uh, Philip, this has been super valuable. This, this might be one of our most valuable info packed educational episodes that we've had yet. So, cool. um, this was awesome. And I encourage everyone to check out your new podcast. Um what's what's the name of that again?
1: The podcast is called the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. So there's a URL that you can go to. It's simply consulting pipeline podcast dot com. Awesome.
0: Real easy, just like it sounds. Cool. Well, I'm I'm subscribing to that. And uh Philip, always always great to talk to you. And, and as always, you know, you can check out your site, uh Philip Morgan Consulting dot com. That's where um all of your work there with my content sherpa happens uh where, yeah. where else can people connect with you
1: well they can connect with me online google uh, there's not a lot of other philip morgans out there but i would love it if people want to find out more about positioning i've put together a free crash course it's i don't know six or seven lessons of just more depth on positioning so, and if you want to kind of take it to the next level that's probably a good starting point and uh, there's a bit.ly link <laughs> to make it easy. There so, uh, bit.ly slash positioning crash course, all one word. So, bit.ly slash positioning crash course. That's probably just the best place to start.
0: Perfect. We'll get that in the show notes. And uh, so, Philip, thank you. Thank you so much for this.
1: My pleasure, Brian. Great sure. talking to you.
0: Okay. Thanks for tuning in today. Get all the show notes for this entire season at productizedpodcast.com. And to get my free Productize Crash Course, where I share my best strategies for launching and sustaining your Productize service business, head over to ProductizeCourse.com. All right, time to get back to working on the business.